Hey, Three Crosses family, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Pastor AJ. I oversee life groups and discipleship, and we are drawing close to the end of our Explore God series. We hope you've been able to join us in one of our in-person conversations on Wednesday night from 6.30 to 8 o'clock here in the sanctuary. We have a couple more conversations for you to join, so come on out. We'd love to see you and have you be a part of this discussion. And hey, if you've been listening to the podcast or been listening to other conversations we've been having, we'd love to hear from you. Share with us what has been your favorite discussion so far. Which speaker on the panel has impacted you the most? Feel free to reach out to me. My email is aj at threecrosses.church. And we'd love to pass on some encouragement to the team who has worked so hard to make this Explore God series possible. Okay, so today we've got another fantastic conversation for you guys. The question we're wrestling with today is, why is the church so full of intolerant hypocrites what a question what a conversation we're having and so with that let's go deeper hey guys how are you anybody go trick-or-treating last night we'll give you a little glimpse of what we're doing today uh Every week in this series, we're discussing, or I'm preaching, someone's preaching on some hard-hitting question related to topics people ask about the Christian faith, and then on Wednesday nights, we come and discuss either some stuff that's like on the cutting room floor from the sermon, or questions that were submitted, or even just, you know, we're out on the bricks outside after the services, people come ask questions, so the frequently asked questions make their way into this room on Wednesday night. So here you are. So the the first thing you need to equip your mind with, kind of go back in time, was the sermon on Sunday, which was several days ago. If you weren't here, I'll give you a quick recap. Uh, But if you were here, kind of think back about what we talked about, because in a moment we'll get a chance to kind of discuss a a little bit amongst ourselves um, what intrigued us about this topic to kind of get our minds spinning today. But if you weren't there, it's okay. I'll give you a quick recap. Uh, I preached on Sunday. My name is Danny. If you're new with us, Frank, Good to meet you. Uh, I'm the senior pastor here. And so I had the delight of preaching on the topic, why is the church full of intolerant hypocrites? And fantastic topic. Uh, and the where we went with the sermon was, first, I kind of took apart this uh, misnomer where sometimes people, I hear people say, well, all of us are hypocrites. Like every single human is a hypocrite. And I said, well, actually, that's not completely true, right? There's a hypocrisy spectrum we talked about, but we're all sinners. Um, but a, but hypocrisy is not about sinning. Hypocrisy is about pretending. It's about play acting. And so we defined hypocrisy from the scriptures. We looked at Jesus's uh, response to hypocrites from the book of Matthew. And then I just took a stab at, hey, here are my top four reasons why I feel like the church is full of hypocrites a lot of the time. And those four reasons were part of it's the nature of religion. We have these ethical standards from the scriptures that we're trying hard to live up to. And sometimes it's easier to fake it than be real, right? And, and grow. And we feel, you know, these other emotions get connected with it. Pride, I said, shame, and even pressure. Pressure to perform in our faith, even when we don't have it all together. And so um, we gave folks a challenge to kind of look at what we talked about and say, what scenario in your life where you need to stop (laughs) uh, putting on the mask and start being real? Um, And then we turned the corner a little bit and talked about intolerance and hypocrisy and just the danger of not addressing hypocrisy in our lives. And I told a story about a, a seminary professor that I had a few years back who was just intolerant about some specific areas of of sin in his own church. And then it came out later that he was committing those very sins in his own church. And so we kind of landed on this, like, how do we prevent that from happening? And so where I landed with it is I said, uh, you know, the irony, the sad, devastating irony in this guy's life is uh, this guy fell into this intolerant hypocrisy because he was too scared or ashamed or prideful, whatever, to deal with his sin properly, where the, what he truly needed was actually to come to Christ and deal with his sin properly, and that would have erased all of this shame and brought him into a, a place of healing instead of destruction. Um, and so we closed the sermon by just giving some action points for our congregation. One was don't be a hypocrite. 
Uh, that's a good action point. Write that one down. Uh, second was to embrace authentic- authenticity and humility. Uh, I forget the other two, but they're probably really powerful. Uh, and and that, yeah, we closed it up. And so anyway, I think we had a lot of great conversations with people afterwards, but that's the synopsis. The thing that struck me as I was doing the study on the sermon and wrestling through it, um, and we, we'll talk about this a little bit tonight, was... Just the concept of intolerance in our society and how there's been a shift where it used to feel like um, tolerance was kind of what we do, right? Somebody has a different political opinion than us, but we tolerate them. They tolerate us. We fight things out. We figure out what's true, and maybe we agree to disagree, whatever that was tolerance. Now it feels like tolerance in society is more just letting people do whatever they want and embracing them regardless of what they believe or what it is. And so it feels like something has shifted and maybe people are kind of trying to project that back on the church. So we'll talk about that tonight, but that's what I was thinking about. So anyway, that's the synopsis. I'll let us introduce ourselves. We've got a fantastic panel tonight. Uh, Patty Crone is here. Colin Redimer is here. I'll let you guys introduce yourselves and then uh, tell us something that intrigues you about this topic tonight. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I'm Patty Crone. I think I've met you all now, except Frank. Hi, Frank. Frank, it's good to see Um, you. And I'm the director of care and equipping here. And I think as a care person and a counseling background, I think the thing that I've been chewing on both from the sermon and then from some other things I'm chewing on related to the topic is this idea, I think that um, Ray Ortland brings it up in his book, The Gospel, Good Read, that when we have good doctrine without care, it leads to hypocrisy. So if we are really right in our thinking and our theology, but we're not loving one another, we're not, we're not in each other's lives, we're not welcoming one another as Christ welcomed us, Romans 15, that right doctrine without right love leads to hypocrisy. So I've just been sitting in that a lot. How can we create a culture here um, among us where there is a, a safe place to confess our sins and be and somebody to walk alongside us towards transformation, not just confession, but repentance. Um, and how what that piece, how that piece is connected to reducing the shame and the pride of hypocrisy. Colin, before you introduce yourself, I'm scared you're not gonna you're not gonna show the world how amazing you truly are. So I'll let you know first. I invited Colin to, to come uh, join us tonight. Uh, Colin has a lot of overlap with a lot of the topics we'll talk about tonight in his expertise. So Colin is a, you can correct me on all the stuff I get wrong, but I'm going to throw it out there so you can't not say it. Uh, Colin's a professor of ethics and philosophy at St. Mary's College. He also leads uh, and helps lead an organization called the Davenant Institute, uh, which teaches Protestant thought at a higher education level, at the graduate level. Uh, They have degrees and programs and uh, a lot of different things. You can talk about that a little bit. and has a ton of expertise around the history of Protestant thought, around ethics, philosophy. And if you ever hear me say anything that sounds adjacent to philosophy in a sermon on a Sunday, you should ask me to read my text thread with Colin the week before, and you'll find out where I got the information. So Colin, introduce yourself and tell us what intrigues you about this topic. Uh, And clean up the mess that I just made. Oh, no, thanks. Thanks, Danny. I'm also a a proud member of Three Crosses Church, which is the most important thing. He's a proud member of Three Crosses Church. uh, Most important thing. uh, Husband of one wife, father of three kids. You know, these are the kinds of things that don't get said. you know, from, from your sermon, the thing that, that struck me walking away is uh, really just the etymology of what you were doing there, right? So you're talking about hypocrisy and how often the word appears in ancient Greek. Well, what would the ancient Greeks have thought of this word, right? And what they, they would have heard something much more similar to like an actor. I mean, that would have been, we, we have a lot of weight on the term hypocrisy. When I say hypocrisy, you think of a hypocrite. Uh, when, when they heard the term hypocrisy, yeah, they, they knew what the meaning of it is in the sense that we have it, but they also would have had these associations with acting. And we tend to think that maybe acting is a modern phenomenon. You know, maybe it started, probably you didn't think it started in L.A. with movies, you know, in the 1920s and 40s. But maybe you thought it started in like Shakespeare's time or something. Absolutely not. It's way, way ancient. I mean, it, it predates, uh, predates Christianity for sure. And it's, and it's right there at the base of um, a lot of actually ancient Greek and um, middle, near, near Eastern religious cults and festivals where somebody would play act the God, right? And they would stand before the people and, and pretend. And so, you know, that tells us something about the meaning of the word hypocrite, which you were talking about in your sermon, um, that it's, it has to do with lying, really, pre- pretending to be something that you're not, which is sort of embodying a lie. And uh, 
Um, I think even saying it that way helps us to see the relationship that can get us out of being hypocrites, which is to have an, a relationship to the truth, right? Somehow my relationship to the truth um, prevents me from falling into hypocrisy uh, if, I, if I get that relationship right. And the hypocrite, right, is, is an actor who's not telling the truth. They're not being the truth, you know, they're not telling you what's really going on. They're, they're telling you something else. All right, we're going to start talking about these topics. Most of what we're going to talk about tonight is around defining terms because most of the questions that came in were people who were intrigued with this like spectrum of hypocrisy or what is intolerance or what is a sinner or all these different things. And so um, you were sharing about Greek thought and hypocrisy as play acting. Um, I'm wondering, as the people were listening to Jesus use that word hypocrite over and over again, do people normally, like Jesus, tie that word into how we see hypocrites? Or are they just thinking about play actors? How do, tell us more about how that does relate. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I should say, you know, professional qualification. I'm not a Bible scholar. So, I, you, you know, both of you actually have probably done more work, certainly done more work on sort of just, just biblical textual, you know, analysis of Scripture. But I, I can talk about ancient Greek society uh, at, ad nauseum. Uh, trust me, more than you want to hear. And so, you know, if you think about what are these ancient Greek plays that you would have seen, um, you know, we think of a play and a stage as being a very secular event. You know, it's just, we're just going to go listen to Shakespeare. It's culture. You know, that's kind of how, how we would think of it. They would have thought of it explicitly as a religious festival. And the gods are invoked at the beginning of this festival, and they often show up as characters, and somebody would be wearing a mask and speaking on behalf of the god. And the point of these plays was to sort of much like a sermon or, or a church, a worship service, is to tell the people where we are in the cosmos. Who are we as a people? What, what are we? What are the God, who are the gods? What do they think of us? Where are we going? What's the plan? And those kinds of questions would have definitely been the top line questions that, were, that are asked. It's less, it is an enjoyable way to spend a day, just like I enjoy going to church on Sunday, but it's much more than that. And so when we see it in that context, you recognize that the actor, you know, that, which is where we get the term hypocrite from, Part of what makes them a hypocrite is that they're speaking on behalf of God, right? But they know, because they know they're just wearing a mask, that it's just a person, that they're not actually representing God, that they don't believe in the words of the God that they're giving to you. And I think that that context really does make me reflect then on what we mean when we talk about a hypocrite, when we see Jesus talking about a hypocrite, because it's somebody standing here telling you the word of God who doesn't themselves believe it, and it's evident that they don't believe it because of how they act as soon as they're off stage, right? Or what they say as soon as they're off stage. And so that that um, that, that distance, right, between the claim that they're speaking on behalf of the God and, and how they really live, how they really think, how they really talk, um, exposes something, I think, for us about what hypocrisy is. I was thinking, the, uh, do you guys know the, most, uh, the number two most famous sermon in the history of America? Uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God. That's number two. Oh. Yes, no, you're right. That's what I asked. Oh. You know, what number one was. Anyone know the number one most famous sermon in the history of America? It's probably Francis Chan sermon now, but it was. Uh, it was I your sermon the exact from title. your sermon, it was my sermon from, from Sunday. Sunday yes, right. <laughs> uh, it was it was same era, but it was not Jonathan Edwards. It was a a sermon. The title was something like the the woe or the perils of the unregenerate minister. And it was like this sermon that was sweeping the nation um, where from church to church, whoever this preacher was, was preaching about the necessity of those who are ministers of the gospel to be saved. Um, and so as you're describing that of hypocrisy, it's like that feels like the ultimate hypocrisy is the person who stands up to speak for God, not even believing, not even being saved themselves. Um, and yet on Sunday we talked about there's a spectrum, right? If that's like the worst is like total pretending phony Christian and um, there's a spectrum of it. So I'd love, you know, one of the questions that came out um, was more of like a personal question around where have we seen hypocrisy happen in ministry, in real life, right? Uh, maybe it is an unregenerate pastor or church worker or something, but um, yeah, so that's the question we can discuss. What, do you guys have any uh Let's talk about the hypocrites. I can talk about, room, I can talk about myself yeah. first. Yeah, okay, I, good, I was one. telling Dana's story earlier. Um, when I first um, was exposed to the gospel of Jesus, I was late high school, and I was pretty intrigued, but I also wanted to hang on to a whole different life. 
And I was up at a chemistry overnight thing for science. And this gal who was really zealous for the Lord, I joined her in witnessing to one of our classmates. So I'm not a believer. And I'm sharing the gospel with this kid. And he prays to receive Christ with me. And how that wrecked me when I got home of just the, the weight of that hypocrisy. I mean, two things I recognized is, is just uh, it, the, the guilt of it actually moved me towards confession and repentance. But the other piece was how powerful the gospel is, that even when we are hypocrites, people can come to faith. And I do wonder if this is part of what happens with those of us in ministry who slide into hypocrisy is we see God still at work. And so we think we're okay. We see people come to Christ. We see people helped by the scriptures. So we somehow think God maybe is winking at some secret sin. And then we move into this realm of hypocrisy. Um, We hear about this. We see major ministries crumble because of an exposure of sin. But up until the exposure, it was thriving. And for me, it's very staggering to realize that's how beautiful the gospel is. That's how powerful the gospel is. And isn't it funny that we're even leveraging that glory? We're even stealing that glory um, from God. So that was my own personal experience. And then, you know, as, as, as someone who's been harmed by hypocrisy, um, I, I recognize now and I've seen others who are weak or marginalized or don't have power be abused through hypocrisy. I understand a little bit more why Jesus gets so angry. Why God throughout the Old Testament is angry. Can you tell us a little more what that can look like um, when you talk about someone, how hypocrisy hurts people? How does hypocrisy, have you seen hypocrisy hurt people? You know, when, you, when people, especially when you're talking about in ministry, when, when those who have power and leadership in our churches or our parachurch organizations, and they use that to feed themselves instead of feed the sheep, feed on the sheep instead of feed the sheep. And you see this throughout the Old Testament, really, the only time where you really see God furious with his people is hypocrisy. He scatters the false shepherds and 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 scatters the sh- or strikes the false shepherds and scatters the sheep and then he goes after those sheep and brings them in. Nothing seems to make God's heart more angry than hypocrisy, you know. And then we get Jesus coming on the scene and making it super clear. Um, so yeah, I think I've just seen people's lives destroyed. Them walk away from the faith. Um, and again, we're all accountable before God to, he, we can see his glory in creation, but at the end of the day, when Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble, better to have a millstone tied around your neck because they've given a false, I mean, even Jesus overturning the temples is the same idea. It was abuse of power. It was hypocritical. I, there's something in that first story, though, that, that really strikes me because if, if you listen to those two stories, right, on the one hand, your hypocrisy sort of helps lead this person to Christ, right? On the, on the other hand, hypocrisy, you can see plenty of examples where it drives people away from the church, drives people away from the gospel. I, I think the, the first image, though, helps me understand something really important about Christianity and, and particularly the Protestant presentation of it, which is that ultimately the, the, the power of the gospel is not seen, uh, it, it might be seen in its, in its end point in our resurrection and our living it out, all of these things. But even there, we would say that that is actually happening because God is doing something in those lives, right? So somehow it's about the truth of the word itself. And that can be presented even through the mouth of a hypocrite. And you can hear the truth. And the truth is still true, regardless of our behavior. And so when I, when I think about examples of hypocrisy, you know, I mean, <laughs> the, my, my, I, I have a list as long as my arm of, of every time that I've, I've been a hypocrite in some level, right? Because you're saying, on the one hand, we have this extremity of it. On the other hand, where are these other places where we see it? Um, you know, in the, in the ph- philosophical literature, you'll hear a lot of people say the phrase, hypocrisy is the tribute that vice pays to virtue. Um, and so I think that part of, part of what this means is it's not to excuse hypocrisy, right? But, but hypocrisy is the tribute that vice pays to virtue. Everyone is a sinner and has fallen short of the glory of God. Um, and, and every Christian knows that. That's why when you asked initially in your sermon, like, is anybody in here a hypocrite? And, you know, like my buddy and I here were sitting next to each other. We had our arms up really high. Um, because if you know that you're a sinner and you know that you're talking about a good and holy God who's set apart and who, in whom there is no sin, um, 
then you're always in some sense, you, you're, not a, you're not a hypocrite in that ultimate sense, because if I believe it and I believe that I'm saved by faith, uh, then I really am saved and I really do believe it and it really is true and therefore it's not hypocrisy technically. At the same time, every parent who tells their kid, like, don't do that thing, you know, that you know you have done or that you know you will do again at some point because you can't as quite As soon as they yourself. go to bed, right? That's right, that's right. There's, you know, don't eat another cookie, please. Leave the it for candy, me. The candy, those Reese's cups are not for you, you know, <laughs> that you got uh, last night on, on Halloween. And so hypocrisy is the tribute that vice pays to virtue. What, what's going on there? What's going on there is you're telling them some good that you believe and know to be good, even though you yourself can't necessarily live up to it. Um, and, and so hypocrisy, that again, it's not quite a defensive hypocrisy, but there's this way in which I think it's important to recognize um, it's an aspect of the fallen human condition in the body. And as long as we're in the body, uh, you know, sin's going to plague us. And uh, as long as that's the case, as long as we're preaching the gospel, as long as we're speaking the truth of Christ, there's going to be this element of it, and, and we just have to find ways of, of thinking about it and wrestling it. And that's why it's good to have a conversation like this. And, and so I'm wondering, is when we see God's wrath over hypocrisy, and we see Jesus's anger, whitewashed tombs, and you hypocrites, woe to you. We see such strong language. When, when do you think the line is crossed of falling into hypocrisy because we want what we want, what we want, and telling our kids not to do what we do, and becoming the type of hypocrite that Jesus is sing singling out, where we really are, I mean, I don't know, maybe, again, back to that spectrum, but I almost wonder if it's that same tension we see in scripture where sinners cannot be saved and yet sinners are the only people who can be saved. What is the wording? Is it this willful, I'm, I'm comfortable with my hypocrisy. I don't have any guilt about it. I'm not moving forward. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I, I would just say it's, it's the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, right? There's the, there's the unforgivable sin. If you don't believe, um, if you, if you, if you don't believe the gospel, you can't be saved. Um, I actually think, you know, if you're reading Christ's words uh, where he's condemning religious hypocrisy and you're feeling a little bit convicted, that's good, you know? And, and when you're not feeling convicted at all by it... That's hypocrisy. Yeah, you should, you should be a little bit concerned. What if you're the person who's in the audience at the actual Sermon of Jesus feeling like, oh, good, like, because he's calling out these religious people... Are they, like, what is that? Maybe because you've been harmed. Yeah. yeah, or just like, like I feel like part of it, there's this weight that comes off your shoulders of like that idea, like you put these burdens on other people's necks that you yourself, it's like you can feel this like burden coming off. Um, is that adjacent to this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would say when you read, read the, the passion narrative, you know, every, it's like, who's the guy, who, which one betrays Jesus? Is Both. It, is it Judas? Is it? Is it Peter? It's all Pete, of them. Just Peter repents. Right. That's the only difference. Right. That's right. That's right. And so I, I think it, you know, it's fine if, if you're in a situation and there's a sort of, it, we do see glimpses of justice in this life. And it's fine when you're watching somebody who's committed an injustice against you or your own, or just in general, to watch them getting justice. I think it's, it's acceptable for us as Christians to, to sort of be glad about that, particularly if it's, if it's injustice that's causing harm to people, that's perpetuated repeatedly. It's important for the magistrate, right, the, the Christian, wh whoever's running the society to step in and stop that, and for us to rejoice in that. And, and it says right there in Romans 13, right, this is, that's part of God's judgment on sin in the world. Um, the, the, the problem, though, is if you just leave it there, then you're just staying at the level of the law uh, as applied where it's visible to us where it's happening, and you're missing out on the fact that the law is a, a prolegomena to the gospel. It comes before the gospel. The, the presentation of the law, and this is why every religious teacher who ever presented the gospel looks like a hypocrite, I, I think, on one level. This is why we always perceive it as hypocrisy, because to present the law is to say that there's this measuring stick that you can't measure up to. There's, this is what humans are supposed to be able to do. This is what we're supposed to be like, and you're not doing it. And I'm not doing it. And that comes before, right? And that, that opens up space for the Holy Spirit to convict people. 
And it's out of the conviction of the Holy Spirit that when the gospel is presented, uh, new life enters in. And that's when faith can enter into to, to somebody. And that's when they get saved. And it's a beautiful thing. Uh, but, it, but because of that presentation of the law, you're always looking a little bit like a hypocrite to somebody who doesn't understand how Christianity works because they're saying, well, wait a minute, you're telling me about this law that I know you can't live up to. I'm wondering, I, I just keep wondering, one of you asked that question, like, where do you draw the line? Because I think, yeah. like, you, whether it's a, I'm thinking about my own life, like, every week I got to get up and preach what God's word says to people, and I become acutely aware of all the places that I don't live up to it during the week. You have, you have one of the hardest jobs in the world, and the Bible's very clear that we're supposed to be praying for you. Well, and also that we're judged twice as harshly. I think that's the yeah, connection yeah. I'm making to this too is in your question that you had that was so good is if there's people in the audience saying, yes, the burdens that these religious leaders have put on me are unfair, is there, it seems to be, rhetorical actually, there is a different standard for leaders in terms of what hypocrisy is maybe um, and what it means to deal with that guilt there's, there's so much more at stake um, when we know we're falling short to really be reflective with the Holy Spirit, with the scriptures open and say, you know, maybe I'm not fit for ministry at this point in my life. I always think of, you know, there's, I've, I've worked with spiritual leaders who I, I could completely be compassionate and empathetic if they're um, part of the body. But to be a, put themselves as a leader and then perpetuate some of this behavior, that's different. Like, So I guess it's kind of rhetorical, but maybe it is a really question. I'm bouncing back to both of you. What is the difference? What is the standard? What is the line when we are church leaders? Well, I think, too, I mean, I, I wonder how this applies to just every normal person that claims to follow Christ. There seems to be a, a bit of a spectrum around uh, your own personal holiness but then there's also a bit of a spectrum around like the standard that you're calling people to, right? So like the story of that professor that I told on Sunday, um, on one hand, he's a total hypocrite because he's like casting all this judgment against others when he himself is doing the same thing and not confessing it. But then on the other hand, I saw the weird like spiral where it feels like the actual like where he's moved with his church congregation is like this bar that he's giving that's like way too high where it's like if you struggle with anything, you're not fit for leadership. If you ever, like even if you're confessing, if you make a mistake, you're not fit for leadership. It feels like there's some kind of, as he fell more into his sin, he also created a bigger burden than a normal pastor would give to people. So I wonder about like both of those in tandem. I'm thinking about like you gave that illustration of the, the silly one about like Halloween candy, like don't eat it, then I'm going to eat it when you go to bed. I think about unhealthy relationships, like people who might show up in pastoral counseling who, you know, like a, a mother-daughter situation with the same type of thing where it's like uh, a mom who's constantly on her daughter for eating, eating, eating habits, and then she can't get her eating habits under control. Part of there's this spectrum around like this unhealthy relationship to food but then part of it is this like hypocrisy. And then part of it is, are you trying to do good by your daughter? Or what, what is happening? Like it's this whole mess of stuff. How do you weave through all of that as a case study when you're walking through those kinds of conversations with people? You're asking me directly. I'm asking you directly. It's making me think of my teenage daughters. And um, just, it is interesting, at least for me personally, when I'm in a position of any kind of authority, whether it's a mom or a counselor or a, a, a ministry leader, um, I'm wanting to keep really short accounts. Like I would ask our kids, especially when they were teens, and especially my fourth, who has a hypocrisy meter that goes off the charts. It's like not <laughs> just gift, battery operated, <laughs> it's like plutonium or whatever operated. Um, anyway, so I would, I would consistently go to my kids and ask them, you know, is there inconsistencies at home? Am I the person at home that you see me to be at church when I'm teaching, when I'm speaking, when I'm caring for others, when I'm leading other people is where do you see? In fact, it was more of the question of where do you see inconsistencies, not do you see them? Because, of course, it's always there so that I can get maybe an insight personally 
because they live with me 24-7, and my husband's way too nice. He's like, when I ask him, he's like, you're the hardest person on yourself I know. I'm not going to add <laughs> that weight and then, and then live with you after that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, he's amazing. So we would ask our children, and it, it was, you know, twofold. I didn't want my position as mom and leader in the church to ever harm my kids. I remember telling my youngest daughter, we had the biggest struggles, and she got to see all kinds of sides of me. Anything I've ever done that is lovely, that's Jesus. And everything I've ever done horrible, that is not Jesus. Promise me you'll believe this one thing. If you, when you leave this house, the one thing you'll remember. But so the weight of that. So I guess keeping short accounts and, and that too with leaders, working with leaders in the church, working with staff. Um, when I got to lead staff, consistently asking, do you see inconsistencies when we're in the office versus when I'm at a podium, do you see any inconsistencies? So keeping really short accounts, um, was that kind of, did I yeah. go tangential? Yeah, because yeah. I, I kind of feel like there's, you know, we talk about this full-blown hypocrisy where you're just faking it, but then I just watched like folks fall into it, whether it's parents or it's spouses or it's spiritual leaders or whatever, and sometimes it feels like, I don't know if this is the case of that professor that I talked about, um, but sometimes I feel like it's like insecurities that we have that we're so terrified that our child or our spouse or our friend or our church will fall into that we like throw the burden that we shouldn't even be holding, but we throw it on them to like spare them from the pain we've experienced. But really like that ends up just feeding this hypocritical cycle because we're believing incorrectly, we're not living it out, now we're commanding them to do something that we can't even do, but it's like so hard, because sometimes, like Colin, like you said, like sometimes like that's just what parenting is, is saying, like, go to bed on time. It's like, but you never do. It's like, I know, but I should. That's what I'm telling you. You need to go to bed on time. You know? I want more for you. I want your life to be better than mine. But the other piece is our blind sides, right? So we have blind spots. So yes, we're projecting, and sometimes we don't even know we're projecting. We just sense something, so it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about sort of where's the line, you know, and it's always a always a tricky question because once you know where the line is, you can just run right right up to it, you know, uh, and rather than rather than trying to sort of thinking about and cultivating like what's the good, what's the aim, and uh, I, I think some of those practices you're you're naming are really helpful, like keeping short accounts. I always think of it as fish. I love eating fish, you know, sushi, cooked fish doesn't matter, um, but I, I need the fish fresh because if you just let the fish sit around, it starts to stink. And so, um, you know, feedback, telling me what's going on, how, how, how am I doing, you know, finding out about my hypocrisy, it's much better to find it out today rather than finding it out next week or in, in 10 years. Um, and so the fish is sort of works as a metaphor there. I, I think the, the, the place my mind goes to when we're talking about hard lines or, or where lines might be is just, is it, it's in that law portion, right, which is what generates the hypocrisy itself. And so um, there's, the law applies differently to to people depending on where they are and who they are, right? And so you can think about civil law this way, right? Law actually does function this way. Um, you know, it is important for your leader who makes the laws to be able to live up to the law, um, but it's also really important that they can just make good law. And, you know, if, if they're themselves not quite making perfect, you know, if they're, if they're living up to it perfectly, but they're making really bad law, like that's really bad for everyone. You know what I mean? If if they're making really good law and are sort of personally a little swish, you know, and we've seen this happen many times, um, that's it's it's a different kind of a problem. And so it helps conceptualize it. And then church law is, of course, a different kind of a thing. And we don't talk about church law at three crosses. But when you're talking about, I'm sure we have internal policies about the higher standard that that the Bible, because that's what church law is. It's just sort of legal thinking that comes out of the text of Scripture about how you should structure and organize your church. And you do have hard lines, right? Um, you can't be an elder, I presume, here if you're the husband of more than one wife. Is that right? Like multiple wives? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, well, there you go. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, or, or, or et cetera. We could just go through what it says in Timothy and, and, and see those, those lines, right? And so the law provides you with lines. And why does it provide you with lines? It provides you with lines um, really not, and, and this is the problem, is it, the law does not solve your problem. It doesn't make you good, right? But what it does is it prevents you from allowing the sin in your life um, expanding in such a way that it hurts everyone around you and ultimately destroys yourself. And so it's really just a preventative measure. 
Uh, but it, it, it provides that much clearer line for us, which I think is, is really helpful. And, it, and on some level, it, some cases, it doesn't even really matter where the line is. It matters that there's a line. What I love even more than the line, that you're, what you drew out in that law example of the two categories of like live out the law that you're requiring others to abide by and make good laws. Yeah. And the analogy that I hesitate to use because it's could be too hot for podcast. Uh, but I, as you were saying that, I was thinking... You know, we can of, always cut this in post, We can cut Danny, this out, so. just uh, lock the doors. Uh, this is not a political statement one way or the other. Turn but, off your phones uh, right now. Yeah, but what I was thinking about when you said that was the reaction to politicians during 2020 and 2021, where... It's like we have all the different California, Alameda County mask mandates, for example. And then this cry of hypocrisy would come out anytime you'd see Gavin Newsom walking down the street without a mask or any politician wearing on a mask. But the cry of hypocrisy that was coming out was almost exclusively, or at least primarily, from the mouths of the people who thought the mandates themselves were ridiculous. You know what I mean? So it's like, if you thought like this law is stupid and you're not living it out, it's like hypocrite, right? If you like think the law is just, but it, like he's not living it out, it's like, well, hey, none of us can be perfect anytime, right. you know? Um, <laughs> and so I wonder if that, like more than aligned, if that tension could be helpful even for us as parents or us as friends or whatever to just say, okay, I need to kind of like that idea of like not giving burdens too heavy for people's shoulders, but also living out the, the rule of life or the law that you hold people to. So like with your kids, it's like the parents don't exasperate your children. Like, don't create a law for your kids that is so stupid that, like, when they see you yourself not living it out because you're not going to because it's so stupid or whatever, that they're going to cry hypocrite. Because I kind of feel like when you're the person who gives dumb laws and then you don't live them out, you're a hypocrite. When you're the person who gives dumb laws and you do live them out, you're the legalist. Uh, and when you're the person who gives, like, like just laws, you know, live them out. You're the sinner. Um, so really the key is to be the person who like has a standard that's a reasonable standard based on the scriptures and lives out that it's standard. Al it's almost like for us to resolve the problem of, of human hypocrisy, which is as old as humans have existed, we need somebody who can both give us a just law and live out that law completely. Jesus. <laughs> you know. I well, and I love when you describe the, uh, this idea of like the, the quintessential hypocrite in the Greek mind being uh, a religious actor putting on a mask and pretending to be God and say, this is the words of the Lord, but they're faking it. And then you see the Pharisees who are like trying to be legitimate religious leaders and believing it, but they're really phonies according to Jesus and putting on a mask. Like you think you go down that spectrum to like, what would the perfect example be? It would be someone who's not even merely living it out, but is not even wearing a mask at all, but is God giving law to humans from the word of his mouth. And so Jesus doesn't just condemn hypocrisy, but in himself is whatever the opposite of, what is the opposite of hypocrisy? He's, he's God. I mean, he's not, even, <laughs> he's not even wearing a mask. And, and yeah. when, I think when you think of it this way, you can see a lot of times we get very confused about why the early church spent so much time arguing and fighting about who Jesus is and how do we talk about that. But I think here we're getting to the nub of it, right? Which is like, well, wait a minute. Was Jesus just like a man who had like the mask of God put on him? Maybe it was put on him by God, so it was like the best mask ever. And they, they, that was condemned very early on as a Christian heresy. You cannot say that. Why? Because then Jesus is a hypocrite. And you can't say that. Jesus is, what did he say? The truth. And, um, you know, when we talk about the Pharisees, you know, the, they're an interesting case because they are hypocrites, but they're not hypocrites. They're, they're hypocrites because they believe it, and they are talking about the right law, but they don't know the entirety of the law. And so there's a sort of, there's a deep and profound untruth to what they're presenting that they really do believe. And that relationship to the truth is standing right there in front of them. It's Jesus. And they don't, they don't have that relationship correct. And so therefore, even if they are living it out, even if they are talking about God's scripture, they're not talking about it the right way. Mm -hmm. they, they, don't, they can't quite talk about it yet because they don't have faith. Or even faith. the even the teachings of Jesus of like you, you hypocrites, you tithe out of your spice rack, right? Like tithes of mint and rue, but you ignore the weightier matter, matters of the law. Um, and, but then he says you should have paid attention to the the latter without neglecting the former. So he's not saying hey you shouldn't have been tithing, but he's saying 
you can't only obey the easy laws and then like pride yourself on like, look how good I am, but you ignore these weightier matters of justice in the world and righteousness in the world. But it does seem like in his earthly ministry, it wasn't like every Pharisee he called a hypocrite. I mean, I think they're back to that spectrum. There were particular leaders that he knew were putting these burdens on. And there were other Pharisees in which he invited to himself. And we, we see them even in a Nicodemus. So, you know, he didn't meet up, meet up Nicodemus in the middle of the night. And he didn't say, Nicodemus, you, you hypocrite, you're meeting me at night. You know, he, he knew the hearts of men. He knew who to entrust himself to. And to me, this stunning part of the gospel there is that I'm going to take all that hypocrisy on. I, who am perfect, who have zero hypocrisy, I'm going to die for that hypocrisy. And there was always that invitation, even in the parables that were harsh, there was always the, what are you going to do now? Or, you know, I'm still going to extend, but you're going to need to face that hypocrisy. So as we close the hypocrisy question, what do we do now? What do we do with this? How do we not be hypocrites? What's the answer? Run to Jesus. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, I mean, this is why the, the presentation of the gospel you were doing at the end of your sermon is, is so important because it is actually your repentance from your sin, your turning around from your sin, believing in the gospel of Jesus and the receiving of faith and that salvation event that happens in your life, you know, that is what makes you not a hypocrite. And that, and that goes back to Martin Luther and the Reformation, that first of the theses. The Christian life is ongoing repentance because I'm going to be leaning towards at least compromise that could lead to hypocrisy in the next 15 seconds and the 20 seconds after that and as I drive home and when I wake up in the morning. And so this ongoing preaching of the gospel. I think there's a discernment factor too of, you know, if you're working, you know, you're working with your children and you're thinking, man, I'm. You know, I'm thinking about a lecture that we were giving one of our kids this last weekend, and then like he walks away, and it was a good lecture, <laughs> and, and it was true. Wish it would have been recorded. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like he he walks away from the conversation, and my first thought was like, man, I think I do all the stuff that we're telling. Like this is what we see in you that needs to die, or you're gonna die, not at our hands. Um, but. I think I do that. I never thought about it this way, but now that I see him doing it, I do that. And I think there's like there's a repentance moment in that, but I think there's also this discernment because there's other times where that'll well up like I can't I can't call that person out because I struggle with that same thing. Where it's like, no, you can. Like it's a good still, but I got to deal with this. And then there's other times where you're like, man, like I feel like such a hypocrite because I keep struggling with this same thing. But I'm trying my best to help my kids or my coworkers or whoever not make the same mistakes I did. But I feel like such a hypocrite because every time I talk about this, I do the same thing. And then there's this discernment of disclosure of when do you, you know, if you're the preacher in the room, when do you get up there and say, hey, guys, I have a really hard time preaching the sermon because I'm such a sinner. And when is it like, do you just talk to God about that? And when do you just talk to your accountability group about that? Um, like there's a discernment that's necessary in every sphere that we live in of, because I, I do think as we move on to this concept of tolerance, I do think that's part of the core of where our society has moved is in hypocrisy and intolerance. It's like you're, you're ill-equipped to make any moral judgment unless you yourself are perfect, which doesn't, that like that, then you're ill-equipped to make any moral judgment, which is kind of where we've come as a society where if no one can be perfect, then there's, you can't hold anyone accountable to anything or else you're a hypocrite. That's why I wonder where, you know, one of the things as counselors you want to, uh, especially pastoral counseling, biblical counseling, is identify with somebody. And with our kids, being able to just say to them, I get this. Mm. I struggle with this too. We're in this together, but it's not good for either one of us. I mean, that's just so powerful. And even we can do that even when we're teaching. We don't have to give all the details, but we can say, I know this is hard. It's hard for me, so I know it's hard for you. There becomes that identification that I wonder if that would bring down the cry of intolerance and the cry of you hypocrite is, is really perfecting the art of identification and that we can really identify. There's nothing, un, no sin that's uncommon to man. Mm -hmm. it's, it's natural to all of us, and I think our kids especially need to know that, yeah, I struggle with that too, and I'm on a journey with Jesus. And I think at its best, you know, th these sorts of levels of um, openness to to a congregation, to our kids, to to our classrooms, or whatever, 
uh, they, they help open up a space where we can say, ultimately the truth of what I'm talking about is not based upon me, and it's not my words. We're talking about something higher. We're talking about something that's true in a different sense. And, and it, it actually allows you to elevate the conversation outside of like a power struggle where like, you should listen to me because I'm a rock star um, dad, you know, I'm the best at whatever I'm talking about. No, 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 you should listen to me because as humans, we've considered what's going on in reality and, and God's word seems to be the best option for, for what we have to deal with. I think of Brendan Manning's uh, words when, he's, when he says, yeah, we're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. Is that the, uh, is that completely accurate or is like there, is there something missing in that? Like, is that the posture of humility is, hey, we're like, we're all sinners and we've all fallen short and I'm not, I'm calling on this higher standard for the both of us, but right now I'm calling on it for you. I wonder if there's a place for we're just one who's tasted in the bread and known that it's awesome, um, showing you where it is too. Like you're right. It's not a, it's probably not fully developed phrase because they're with our children with as leaders there needs to be hope that we're being transformed, right? I, I don't want my kid to hear, yeah, you're gonna, you're, this, this is going to suck forever and you're just going to deal with this for the rest of your life. <laughs> There's no hope for any There's of us. There's no hope for any of us. But that, yay, I'm on this journey with you and I have seen the goodness of the Lord and I've tasted this bread. Yeah, there's times I'm still hungry, but I have tasted this bread and I'm being changed by this gospel. And you can too, because it is, it is objectively true. Um, whereas my life may be inconsistent, Jesus is always consistent. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I like the, the framing, right? One beggar is showing another beggar where to find food. I, I, as a professional philosopher, though, I just have to say, there are wrong answers. And so it's, it's fine in some cases to be like, no, that's, that's just not it. You know, we know that... I appreciate we, that because it's always bothered me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, I don't think that's the basic posture you want to have when you're talking to your kids. They're not, they're not in general just obviously wrong all the time, but sometimes that's going on. And, um, and, it's, and it's important, I, again, it's not, it's not an authority play. It's not like you're wrong because I'm in charge. It's like you're wrong because this is just... It's, you know, one plus one is two. Uh, you know, triangles exist. You know, these are the sorts of, like, basic arguments we can build. It's not going to lead to human flourishing. There right? you go. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Always go back to human flourishing. So, moving from hypocrisy to intolerance, because I feel like that's the, like, this hypocrisy question on one hand, it feels like, it feels like in my generation growing up, it was all about like hypocrites. I feel like in this emerging generation, intolerance is more of the like, like finger pointing word. I mean, you teach in a college context. Where do you see this word intolerance? <laughs> I don't want to open up too big a can of worms, but um, let's have a four ounce can of night crawlers for you to open up here. Yeah, yeah. You know, the 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 thing that I would say is tolerance um, in general operates as a secularized version of Christian love. So. It's not Christian love, um, and it, you know. It, and if the, if you chafe against that, you just have to ask, well, why is it that Jesus didn't say tolerate one another as I've tolerated you? You know, if if I have tolerated you, you are you are a member of my body. Go and know? do the same. Go and do the same. Right? It do, he doesn't say that. Tolerance implies both something like I love and accept you, right? The the end point of the gospel message, and something like the judgment that the law, the presentation of the law gives us. Because the person you tolerate, you never like them. You're like, oh, I just tolerate this person. So there's a, you're sort of hiding the judgment and you're never actually completing the process of coming to love the person. Um, you're just tolerating them. And so I think it has a, it's, 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 you know, as secularization progresses, as the nuns become more common, I think you're going to hear it more and more often because it's a, uh, it's a version of, I mean, we could talk about it as a Christian heresy. I think that's, that's a fine way to talk about it. And it's reaching towards some good thing, which I would just say is Christian love. Um, but it never, it never quite gets there. Uh, and so uh, since, because that's the case, it, it's unstable on its own terms. And there's a philosopher named Karl Popper who wrote a, uh, a famous book in 1945 called uh, The Open Society where he talks about, he was the first person to really explore explicitly uh, the tolerance paradox, which is that a tolerant society um, can exist, but only it can only exist as long as it is always, uh, you know, almost violently intolerant of intolerant people. 
And so, of course, that means it's paradoxical in and of itself. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And that actually gets expanded and weaponized by people like Herbert Marcuse, who, who goes on to say things like, um, actually, to tolerate people who do not tolerate the way that we understand it is itself violence. And we need to actively in, be intolerant and oppose people who have, you know, who are haters, who have bad opinions. And there, you know, once you get to Marcuse, you can really, I think, see the tenor of the way tolerance language gets used around Christians, you know, in, in at least a lot of the areas of America that I tend to work in and live in. So I wonder, as you're talking about that, I think we can all understand uh, how these words work in the real world or people are talking about, like, tolerance. We have to tolerate this and tolerate that. But... But at the same time, like there are things that I feel like as in a society, even in a tolerant society, we still choose to not tolerate where it's like you can have a zero tolerance policy on uh, assault or bullying uh, in the school, bullying or like and if someone's a bully, we don't tolerate that person. Or if someone is a um, assailant, we don't tolerate that person or we don't tolerate people who, you know, but it's not merely it's not really like we don't tolerate the person who is a. Um, is intolerant. It's it's not their intolerance we don't tolerate. It's their behavior or their ethics we don't tolerate. Yeah, but I mean, bullying. It's it is that they're not tolerating these other people. I mean, so so it becomes this is without without an objective measure of the law, which we get from from scripture. I mean, there's three basic places that law can come from, and so philosophy of law is one of the things that, that I teach. It can come from force or fraud or God. And that's it. I thought you were going to go three Fs, but you went like two Fs in a row. I know. I, one. That was cool. I, father, father, father. Or the no, father. Like, there you like, go. This is good. Yeah, I like how the second two rhyme, though. And, and cool. you know, you can see this in, in Thomas Hobbes and, and many other thinkers. Um, and so, you know, we would say, well, the law comes to us from God. And somehow, it's not that God's law is the law that we write, but God's law and his revelation through natural revelation and scriptural revelation teach humans what it is that we should be up to as we're making laws to govern how we live with one another. Um, if that's not what's going on, if you deny that as your basic starting point for how you're thinking about what rules and what's tolerated, where the hard lines are that we talked about earlier, then all that's left is force and fraud. And that's what Thomas Hobbes seemed to say. And therefore, if it's just force and fraud, if it's just who can bully and get them their way, who can trick everyone with their words and get their way, then it's really unclear to me why the bully is the intolerant one and the people that are bullying the bully are the tolerant ones. You know, these words become wishy-washy. You're back in Karl Popper's tolerance paradox, I think. And what does fraud look like? Fraud is just lying. It's just tricking them with words. So, so force would be, you know, getting people to do what you want by physically making them or threatening them, you know, with violence. And fraud is just, you're, you're smarter than they are. You can use language in a way Manipulation. that you can, you can manipulate them and trick them into doing what you want them to do. I like the God one the best. I, I'm I with. So I'm, I'm on. I'm on I board vote. with God. You know, I vote for God. <laughs> sign me up. Do you feel like tolerance in our society today is different than what those writings were about in terms of a tolerant society? Has tolerance progressed, or the concept in our society or broken down, or is it the exact same thing? <clears throat> I don't think so. I would just say I think we have more people who are. You know, I think when you hear, I'm, I'm sure many people in, in the congregation at Three Crosses are very pro-tolerance. I'm not, I don't want to come out as like an anti-tolerance guy. That's Colin Redmer, <laughs> anti-tolerance. Um, but when, when, as a Christian, if you say I'm, I'm for tolerance, we tend to, you know, tolerance in its good sense, where we're going we're gonna to put up with people who are in progress or something. You know, that sense of it really does come to us from the Christian tradition. You know, the, what you mean when you want tolerance in the positive sense actually comes from Christianity. You just don't see it in these other cultures, in these other communities. And I think we have to recognize that and, and own it and tell people about it. If, if you like tolerance, as opposed to this bullying that you're seeing, uh, where they use tolerance, but tolerance is just a mask, talk about hypocrisy, that you're wearing to get your way, um, you know, what you really love is, is Christianity because Christianity is the one religion where we say, uh, we will love the sinner even if we hate the sin. You know, we, we don't approve of what you're up to necessarily, of, of the wrong that you're doing in the world. But man, we love you and we're for you, 
even before, just because as God loved me before I before he fixed anything about me, he loved me in my sin, we are called to love you in the situation that you're in right now, even while you're a bully, right? Can you look the, the bully in the eye? Only a Christian, I, I believe, can do this, who's, who's got the grace of God working in their life, can look their, their persecutor in the eye and love them. That's the grace of God. I mean, that's, that's where you can see that's not hypocrisy, mm-hmm. right? What are you thinking about? I was just thinking about this scripture. I was thinking about this earlier today. Somebody's, somebody's got to take us to the Bible. Right? I Let's it. do it. I was about to close in prayer um, or yeah. take an offering. I don't know what I was about to well, do. Well, Peter talks about um, fervently love one another. Love covers a multitude of sin. You know, he's, again, he's creating, he's creating gospel culture. Of course, he gets in trouble for hypocrisy and has to straighten himself up. But, you know, he's, he's not just taking the word of God as gospel truth, but he's also creating a culture whereby we are going to eagerly love and we're going to eagerly, we're going to have a love that covers a multitude of sin. In other words, the things that we need to move in on, we're going to move in on the things that we need to let go and give people time and let them be in process. And even, um, I was thinking about Romans 14, welcoming those who are weaker in the faith. I mean, Christianity should be a place where, where, where our different convictions can work themselves out well, and we could move towards each other, and we can honor each other's concerns, convictions, things like that. And then even in Romans 12, when, when Paul says, you know, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, um, as much as it depends on you, um, be at peace with one another. It's just this urgency that we, we move towards one another with understanding. And so many of the things that we're intolerant of, partly we're making assumptions of motives and we're, and we're judging the heart. And that's the other intolerance that Jesus is against is judge not lest you be judged. Jesus is intolerant of us judging each other's motives, each other's salvation. Um, We do address behavior, but we stop short, which creates this beautiful community. We stop short of judging the person and their eternal destiny and their future. And again, assuming motives. So I agree. If we could, if we could sink deeper into that gospel culture I mentioned earlier where we're a safe place to be in process, but we're not safe to just stay the way we are either. Like we know we're going to be, we're going to be encouraged. We're going to be exhorted. We're going to be, we're going to have people to confess to. We're going to have people to walk things out with. So yeah, I, I, I love that. say about uh, gospel culture in that, because I, even that, that Matthew verse of you know, plank out of your own eye or don't judge. Such gospel culture. Mm-hmm. Like that next line is, because whatever measure you use, it's going to be used unto you. And it's almost like, a, I don't know if this is what Jesus intended, but it feels like this reminder that we are creating a culture with the way that we meet out judgment within the context of the church or the world or like, you know, so if like we're going to, you know, like the culture that that professor that I talked about was creating in his church was one that created the problem that, you know, kicked him out the door ironically, but probably healthily in some sense, he got booted immediately when his sin came out because he created a culture where when you sin, you're kicked out of this place, you know? Um, I don't think he did it in a healthy way. Um, but at the same way, it's like if you have a judgmental family and everybody's judged, like your kids are going to turn into judgmental people, you're going to get judged. But if you can catch that secret of how do we have this humble approach to hypocrisy and tolerance and judgment, uh, you're creating this culture where... Maybe Jesus is talking just God to us. He'll judge us the way we judge one another. But it feels like even the golden rule is this idea of we're creating this like reciprocity with one another where the way that we treat others is going to become the culture of this place. There was I knew a couple people who sat under that same professor and I was with them when word came out. And one, um, one of them was one of our pastors at the time and his first response was, this man is going to know the gospel in a way that he has never known it before. And I thought, that's gospel culture. He had hope that some people would surround this man and give him what he wouldn't give others so that he could experience the full weight of the gospel and be transformed, even in the midst of his egregious sin. I think that's so powerful to think about. Yeah, I mean, not tolerating the sin is actually part of how you love the sinner. Absolutely. Yeah, we're doing a a series, Lord willing, on Revelation next fall. And I was studying the seven churches of uh, Revelation 1, 2, and and 3. And I was struck with just how often God rebukes churches for 
not being so intolerant. Like you tolerate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Yeah, Ira Tyra. Yeah, it's yeah. like you, like God wants us to be an intolerant people about some things, like like churches, families, like workplaces. We should all have zero tolerance policies on some things. Part of what's hard in this culture is there's this spectrum of, like we would all agree we should have a zero tolerance policy on like murder. Um, but then it's like there's this spectrum of like, yeah, like, hey, we're gonna have a zero tolerance policy here on murder. It's like, yay, right? And we're gonna say in the in our church, we say we have a zero tolerance policy of other non-Christian worship expressions. Be like, yay! Then you go to your workplace. You're like, we have a zero tolerance policy on non-Christian workplace expressions, and like four people are like, yay! And everyone else is like, what? And then, and then they're fired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was and, a test, and that's just the beginning of the spectrum, right? We all know there's like so many when we talk about our our relationship with sexuality, our relationship with gender, or our views on religion, or our views on uh, are there many ways to heaven? All, all these questions we've had in this series, even in our in the world outside of our doors, there's a people say, no, those are things we tolerate. We tolerate difference of opinions about all those things. But when we hold on to the scriptures as like this moral law, we say, well, that's you know, we're at a different place of what as believers we feel called to tolerate versus the world outside our doors. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, like, it, we've given some practical advice, and so one bit of practical advice I would give to Christians uh, who are listening is, you should just basically, your your default assumption should be that tolerance is is a sort of noble lie that we tell ourselves in, you know, 21st century America. We're all just, you know, we're tolerant of each other. We're not. I mean, I think as Christians, we should just be able to just recognize that. This is sort of like 101, right? We're sinners. Uh, we envy each other. We're, we're, we're competing with one another. Um, you know, we're looking for any way that we can get an advantage, uh, you know, in, in our workplaces, in our, in our social relations. And that, that sort of dog-eat-dog -dog world, it, it, it's real. I mean, that's, that's the, the world in the fall that we live in. And um, b because of that, I actually think Christians, you know, what I, 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 I did not, I grew up in a very different church uh, than Three Crosses. And um, when I started going to evangelical churches, my parents would always sort of whisper to me on our way home, like, but we're evangelicals, you know. Um, and, uh, and so we were, in a, we were in a very sort of, you know, buttoned up mainline church. Let's put it that way. Uh, and I learned a lot about Are they the, Presbyterians. They, we, we, but they were Presbyterians, but we were actually in the United Church of Christ because there were no Presbyterian churches in this side of the Hudson River for historically interesting reasons. Um, so when I started going to the evangelical church, people would ask me, "What's your life first?" I had never heard this. And I, what day did you give your life to I Jesus? I had no idea. Well, I was like, Jesus I, into your heart. I was born into this family and baptized, and you know, it was that's <laughs> um, that was that was my experience, and so. I realized I just have to have something to tell them. And so I started telling them, my life verse is, you, you know, Colin, you should be as shrewd as snakes. <laughs> and, um, and as my life has progressed, I have really felt like that is my life verse. <laughs> that there's a sort of shrewdness that we should have when we do leave the, the doors of the church. Um, and we should be really thoughtful. And, and if you do that, you actually create a lot of opportunities because the people out there in the world know that tolerance is also kind of a lie. What's so funny, it's like, I mean, when you, the way we've talked about tolerance tonight, it's like so obvious that like, yeah, we're all just pretending that we're tolerant about everyone. Like, and I love what Hypocrites. you said earlier. It's like, yeah, that's like the, that's today's version of hypocrisy is tolerance. Mm -hmm. And so even this concept of like, why is the church full of intolerant hypocrites? It's like, maybe it's because, I mean, part of it's because there's a lot of messed up Christians. But then part of it is like, even if we were all doing well, we would get that indictment upon us. But really, it's because we've taken off the mask that, in many ways, the culture is wearing and are shining forth the truth of the gospel. And it, and it creates gospel opportunities uh, when, you, when you just... I'm not saying go out there and be intolerant, but when you just don't play the game as if tolerance is really what's operating and running things. And you're shrewd and you, and you open up conversations with people... Uh, and and talk about who who you really are, what you really think, um, what the truth really is as you see it, and you do it in ways that are humble, uh, that that are gentle, that are not that are that are not um, attempting to get your way over somebody else. But I, I I do think people people recognize the sort of bullying nature of tolerance often in wherever they are. They they feel a sense that they can't talk about what they really think about all kinds of things. And that's a, that's, a, that's a toxic way of living. It's, it's, a, it's a bad way of being human in the world. 
And it gives Christians an opportunity if they can know that that's the experience that other people are having too, to have that opportunity to talk about the gospel. And I've seen that, you know, in my, in my life, in my workplace, which, you know, is is not always the most tolerant uh, to the to the gospel. And if we can combine that with a, a, a putting on display biblical intolerance in the sense of like Galatians six, you who are spiritual, restore one another, um, who with gentleness and kindness. If we can, if we could, if we could match that winsome truth with the gospel culture of showing the ways in which we are loving one another, but intolerant of the things that harm us and harm each other. We're moving towards people. We, I mean, I think we show them how we love one another, and then we go love them. I mean, that actually, it just never gets more compelling than that, you know, in, in my experience. Um, telling, telling them about the loving relationships I have with my family, with, with my family in Christ at the church. I mean, that people don't have those kinds of relationships oftentimes. And they're like, what? That's possible? I thought it was just tolerance. They hardly have anybody that says, how are you, and really wants the answer. 